0: all right welcome everyone to a new episode of the roscoe's wetsuit neuro podcast i am joined by a special guest today we have rachel moore on the show Uh, rachel is a licensed therapist in san diego california she's also a writer singer and musician and she helps uh, she has experienced helping other creatives resolve trauma and overcome blocks Rachel also has experience with EMDR, which is Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing Therapy and Grief Counseling. Rachel, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me, what was your sort of journey into uh, your role as a a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist? Was that something that you knew that you wanted to to pursue kind of early on, or or how did you kind of stumble into that?
1: Well, actually, um, my bachelor's degree is in creative writing, and I was a newspaper copy editor for 14 years uh, before I decided to make a switch into a therapy. Uh, There were many reasons why I did that, but I think it's safe to say that I either was going to be a writer, a musician, or maybe a therapist, Uh, so (laughs) I've done the 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 writing part and the therapy part as jobs and music I just do for fun now so yeah that's that's the short story of how I got here.
0: Okay and and then why tell me tell me about uh I guess you know EMDR is something that has been discussed in previous episodes so my audience is probably a bit familiar with it but why why uh why focus on that modality specifically like what what intrigued you about EMDR?
1: I like a couple of things about it. One is that I like that it is somewhat structured. I mean, even the other day um, I was talking with a client, all of my sessions are online right now uh, because we're still in the middle of the pandemic. And um, I was, and not much is going on in our lives, like anybody's lives really, that's very different from like the day before or the week before or the month before. And I was talking with a client and they kind of updated me on their life within the first 10 minutes. And I had this thought in my mind like, wow, I'm so glad that I have EMDR because if I didn't, I'm not quite sure (laughs) what we would have to talk about or to do now. So um, it's really been cool to be able to kind of have the time now to use EMDR to really drill down into some past traumas with folks and help them resolve them. So the, the one thing I do like about it, like I said, is the the structured element of it. It gives us a target. It gives us uh, feedback. You know, part of the process of doing EMDR is to ask, for example, uh, zero to ten, how distressing is this memory to you now? And I can literally watch, you know, the numbers go up or down or or stay the same. And I and I then from there I'll know what to do next. And Just for me, it just helps. I I kind of tend to be a creative person naturally and my brain goes all different ways and associations kind of naturally. So it's good for me to be able to kind of hone in (laughs) and um, focus on that, so I like it. And then just the fact that it works. That is really important to me. I love the fact that I can offer something to people and if it's appropriate for them um, to to participate in EMDR. Um, I can help them and it works and um, I really appreciate that because I think sometimes with traditional talk therapy, and I've experienced this as a client sometimes too, I really don't know if it's working and I don't know how to tell if it's working. I might have some vague idea, but um, I really don't know. That's just my experience. So, like I said, I like that it's measurable and um, I like that it works.
0: Yeah, Uh, sounds like some good reasons so what what uh what are the specific like types of memories? can you give me like some examples of like you know memories that that people clients would uh, uh come in and sort of want to work on and then can you sort of take me through the process of because i I think a lot of people like have have misconceptions and and this has been discussed uh numerous times on the show in the past like you know in terms of like hypnosis where people think that it's gonna just extinguish the memory like altogether, but in reality it's like basically where you're sort of just the emotions that are attached to the memory sort of dissipate from my understanding
1: yeah yeah there's actually that's that's a that's a great question um, first of all let me address too. you know you you touched on it a bit hypnosis and EMDR are very different one of them being uh, that in EMDR you the client are conscious uh, the whole time and you're in charge the whole time um, so there's no like going into a different state of consciousness um, The other thing that's different, as you mentioned, too, is that I don't know much about hypnosis. I don't know if it erases memories. I don't know what goes on there. I can say with EMDR, um, yeah, you'll still remember the incident. And like you said, it will bring down the emotional content. And there's actually, we do work on the emotions and bringing down the distress. So there's actually, we call it three prongs um, for EMDR. There's the emotion part there's the thinking part. So if anybody's familiar with like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, that's kind of related, it's, it's not really, but, but we're talking about, you know, negative thoughts, we call them negative cognitions. So we want to find the irrational negative cognition and help change that into a true positive con- cognition. Um, so we got emotions, thoughts, and then third, and honestly, I think maybe most importantly, the body. So the last um, part of the reprocessing with EMDR is called the body scan, and I have the person scan from top to bottom to see if there's any disturbance or distress in the body. That's the most fascinating um, one to me because the body can't really talk, although sometimes I will ask a question, for example, like, um, you know, if, if the pain in your chest could talk, like, what would it say, you know, what, what, how would it express itself? Um, to answer your initial question, the types of traumas, it's another, that's a great question, too, because we call it, you can either have big T trauma, like capital T trauma, or little t trauma. Um, trauma doesn't, it can't be easily categorized because everybody's so different, and also everybody's sensitivities, I think, are so different. So, um, if you're somebody like me, like, I can get traumatized by maybe things that other people like wouldn't even <laughs> you know i don't like scary movies for example and if i see an image that my image might stay with me for a long time uh, whereas somebody else might not even notice it the other important thing i think about trauma is that sometimes it's not so much what happens it's not so much like what we would call the trauma like let's say a big trauma like a car crash or something like that it's not so much what happens sometimes sometimes it's what happens afterward and i think personally, I think, especially for children, because I think as children, often we feel very much out of control of a lot of aspects of our own lives. So the trauma might happen, then whatever happens after can really kind of make that a big trauma or something that um, a person can get over. And I'm trying to think of an example, but like, for example, if with a child, if the child's emotions are attended to, if they are validated, like, yeah, that was really scary and you're safe now and everything's okay. You can imagine how different that might affect a brain uh, instead of the other direction where for whatever reason the child is neglected after that big thing happens and they don't understand it and they're confused, right? So again, a traumatic thing can happen, can be big, can be little what happens afterward and how that process can really make a big difference too, for if it sticks around as a distressing memory or not.
0: And then how, how exactly does like the the EMDR process, how does that uh, sort of change or or help people process that, that memory, like the, the specifics in terms of there's been some, whether it's been a big T or a little T trauma uh, and they, they come to see you, what, what, Take me through kind of the process that that occurs.
1: Well, the short answer to that is nobody knows. (laughs) Unfortunately, I suppose. We know um, that it does work. There are theories as to how it works. A couple of those theories, one of them being that uh, when we're sleeping and REM sleep happens, so the eyes move back and forth. That bilateral stimulation is what we call it. Short Shorthand is BLS, bilateral stimulation. The, the theory is that um, when we're sleeping and that happens, that's when the brain is sort of putting memories away and uh, adaptively and so we can be healthy. Another theory that I've heard recently, and there's probably other theories too that, I'm, that I don't know about. Another theory I've heard recently too is that when you are working the long-term memory and distress around a long-term memory, Uh, So we do that. You know, we ask about a few things about the memory didn't never have to go into details. I like that about EMDR too. like I don't need to know the details of what happened to you. It's, it's important. You know, what's important is that you know what, what happened to you. Right. So, um, when you're working the long-term memory when you're using the long-term memory and the working memory at the same time working memory you know being the eye movements or the tapping or whatever other sort of bilateral stimulation when you use those at the same time one of them has to win and what happens is that the working memory wins and the distress of the long-term memory goes down and and from what i heard is that if there's no distress with the long-term memory it doesn't change anything but for some reason when you're working both of those types of memory the working memory wins out if that makes sense <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: right, right right okay um so like can we can we walk through like sort of an example uh you know of, of a of a person yeah um, i guess we can you know you could make up like say someone sure. has uh like a veteran or something right that that has some kind of traumatic experiences um so so what like from your your perspective like what what sort of changes in terms of, you know, sort of before and after, like a successful treatment, like how, how do you, how do you observe their behavior being different, their Mm -hmm. thoughts or or, uh, uh, ideas about what had happened? How does that, how does that change?
1: Wow. Well, it's really, uh, it's really individual depending on, you know, who the person is, what they face. Um, there's a lot of questions in there, <laughs> trying to figure out where to enter.
0: <laughs> um, is there something, yeah. is it, what's, the,
1: what's the most pressing thing you're curious about with that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I guess maybe a good place to start. So, um, you know, if we, if we take the example of that, have, you've worked with like veterans. I before? haven't actually. Have, okay. I have
1: so, so, and in fact, maybe it'd be good to work with somebody who perhaps has a creative block or, you know, is a professional artist musician whatever and just finds themselves stuck something like that might be yeah how so yeah.
0: how about yeah how about that so as far as so someone who who comes in and mm-hmm. for whatever reason they're they're struggling to produce the kind of creative output that they're wanting mm-hmm. um, what uh so so is it you found that oftentimes it's these past memories that are sort of blocking
1: mm-hmm. that
0: are causing the creative block
1: it can. That can be true. Yeah. And we can actually target that creative block. So, so just to step you through it real quick. And um, the first thing we would do is just ask about what's the what's the presenting issue. So they might say, like, uh, you know, for example, um, I used to be able, I'm thinking, of uh, let's say a musician. I used to be able to perform at a certain level. And then, you know, I encountered this particular situation and something happened and I haven't been able to get back to that again, or I've never been able to reach the level that I want to reach. I feel like I'm capable of something and it feels psychological, right? Like something is blocking me. So then I'll ask them, okay, what are some recent examples of this? Excuse me. And they might say, um, well, I was at a rehearsal and there was this, this one part that was super easy and for some reason I couldn't get through it and my body froze up or something like that. Ask for other recent examples. And then I'll say like, okay, when you think about how it felt, in this recent moment when your body froze up and you couldn't remember whatever it was that happened. When you think about that and how it felt, how it felt in your body, the emotions, the thoughts, when you go back into your memory, and I usually say like, you know, pre age 18 is, is great. You know, the earlier, the better. When you go back and you remember a time when you may have felt this way before, what comes up? And they may say like, well, yeah, you know, I remember like, and it may be completely unrelated, by the way, uh, just on the surface, it may be completely unrelated to performing as a musician. You know, I, I'll think of my, one of my own memories. Like, I remember it's, it's around holiday times when we were recording this. So I remember um, when I was in fifth grade and we had to to create um, reindeer out of construction paper, <laughs> And mine just looked like, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> not a reindeer. Let's just say that. And that memory for me is still in my brain. And it's not as distressing right now, but for a long time it was really distressing because I I kind of stood out because like, I'm I'm not great at, you know, um visual art or using my hands in that way. Um and, you know, maybe I had those similar feelings at that time. And so we kind of go through the 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 different memories. Um maybe there's something even more you know, traumatic, so to speak, than, than that, that comes up and they felt that way. And then I'll say like, are there other people, places, or things in your life now that bring up these negative responses? So we dealt with the past, now we're dealing with the present. And then I ask them in the future, how do you want to handle those present issues? So um, that's kind of how we set it up. That's the treatment plan right there. And then what we do is we pick, typically we pick the earliest memory. It could be the worst memory. We kind of work with the client on that. Um, but usually we pick the earliest memory because for whatever reason that we have no idea how this works, um, <laughs> the earliest memories can sometimes affect the memories all the way down that, that line, that memory channel. So that, um, you know, maybe something happens when I was 10 or whatever um, brings down, we bring down the distress there and it affects something when I was 15 or something like that. And so then from there, we pick the memory, I ask a few questions about it, what's, what's the worst part about it, uh, what are some, what's the negative thought you have about yourself, what do you want to believe instead, uh, what's the distress level, where do you feel it in your body? And then we start the bilateral stimulation, uh, either eye movements, like I said, or sometimes clients will tap on their legs um, when we're working online. Um, I do do eye movements online with the, with the program too. And then I'll ask them what they're noticing. And their only job, and it's interesting because it does take a lot of effort and energy, their only job is to just notice. Just notice what comes up after the eye movements or the tapping or the bilaterals. Just notice what comes up. And I, my job is to wait and see when the processing has uh, paused. And that will usually be when they bring something up twice in a row. Or they say, like, yeah, nothing's really coming up. I'm feeling very present. I'll say, like, okay, when you go back to that memory, what are you noticing now? They'll say what they're noticing. Most of the time, it's a little a little different. Sometimes it's very different. Sometimes it's like, wow, now it's black and white. Or now it feels like it's it's a photograph. Or now it feels like there's a pane of glass in front of it where there wasn't before. It feels a lot hazier. Things like that. We do that process. I'll ask again, what's the distress level? Zero out of and ten. And they'll let me know. so. Um, we do that with the emotions, we do that with the thoughts, and then we do that with the body. And that's clearing one memory. Then after we clear one memory, we'll go on to the next memory. And after we clear all the memories, we'll do the present, uh, some bilateral stimulation with the present issues, same way. And then we do what's called a future template, which is like, okay, these present issues, how do you want to deal with them in the, in the future? What's the positive thought you want to have about yourself when you do that? And we do bilateral stimulation with that. So. That's kind of the whole shebang. I hope that wasn't too boring.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. It's an interesting yeah. process. Yeah. I wanna I wanna switch gears a little bit and ask you um, in terms of like creativity and mental health. You know, there's there's yeah. oftentimes like the stereotype of like sort of the the tortured genius, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Picasso cutting his ear off, or you know, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of these, you know, Robin Williams, and uh, there there so many you know really like creative successful people that that have documented you know sort of mental health issues sure is that something like like what what what's your opinion on that as far as like do you think that that uh that people who who are more predisposed to depression or or bipolar like tend to be more creative or or is that connection not really that clear
1: sure i mean the- <laughs> my first thought is like, wow, you know, I really don't know. Um, <laughs> that's not too helpful. But I do have some some thoughts about it, which is, um, gosh, you know, what comes up for me as you're asking this question is the idea of self expression. What also comes up for me is the idea, God, someone said this so great to me the other day and I can't remember um, who it was, but they said, you know, in our culture, we tell people like, you know, don't waste your time doing doing art or music or painting or whatever that's never going to make any money yada 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 we tell people that and yet the people we celebrate the most are like actors musicians artists what is going on there right there's some sort of disconnect happening in the culture and societally where it's not okay for example i'm thinking about the book the artist's way by julia cameron i don't know if you're familiar with that book but she talks about a lot of these issues but it's like it's not okay to be an artist unless you're going to be successful, unless you're going to be great, you know? And so just like, I mean, there's so many factors that play into um, mental health issues for anybody, right? There's genetic, there's uh, environmental. I think the same is true for creatives and, you know, um, I I will just say real quick, you know, I was able are you familiar with uh, Gabriel Mate, the uh, Canadian physician um, and, psychologist, and um, he, I I was able to ask him once, um, you know, a lot of people I work with and myself, we think that our, for example, our trauma is what helps us be creative or what, you know, drives us to create. And he says, no, 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 it's not your trauma. It's your sensitivity. So it may be true that creative people are more sensitive. It kind of has to be true in a way, actually, now that I say it out loud, because as creative people, we're seeing things in ways and we're experiencing things in ways that other people aren't perhaps. And we're noticing more things maybe than other people do. And so I think that if, you know, if I were to want to, you know, tell somebody who thinks that, who worries maybe that if they get healthy, they're not going to be creative or they're not going to be able to produce. I think that's actually a fairly common belief. I'd say, no, 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 actually the opposite is true. You know, Gaber Matei said, well, you know, trauma can affect the, the, um, the, like the mode of creativity or how it's expressed. But I really think that working through some of these things that are blocks, you know, working through some of, even just like, you know, the the societal impact of like people who are close to you or the general society telling you that you're wasting your time when what you're actually doing is trying to self-express, <laughs> trying to speak from your heart, right? trying to express that sensitivity. The healthier you are, the easier I think that'll be. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't know about any any connections per se. To be honest with you, I'm kind of not that interested because I don't know what it would tell us exactly, you know? <laughs>
0: no, that, that's, yeah. a, that's a really interesting point you, you brought up just about the sensitivity. I mean, it's something that I've, I've sort of thought about certain ideas that are similar in the past. So, that, that's really interesting though. So basically, if, I, if I'm understanding you correctly, sort of being uh, maybe more kind of hypersensitive to, to our environment and our experience of the world, we sort of pick up, uh, creatives can potentially pick up on other on, on things that other people may not and then create these sort of new connections uh, that other people may not be able to see.
1: Yeah, exactly, precisely. I, I think that that's true, yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, um, well, tell me about uh, you know. So you you have a podcast, right? Um, yeah,
1: we haven't recorded yeah. in a little while, but yeah, okay.
0: What? Uh, so you know, going from I guess you know just what, what you were doing with kind of working with with clients. What sort of inspired you to you know mm-hmm. also want to get on like other people's podcasts and, and sort of oh, talk, yeah. talk about this stuff um, compared to just doing your work?
1: I yeah I do love doing podcasts it was fun it was so funny you know we we did our pod we created our own podcast my friend my friend Boonie and I it was really fun and actually doing that process though was a lot of work and much less glamorous than I had imagined <laughs> as you might know <laughs> so um I realized like well yeah having my own podcast is great and I actually do like going in and talking to other people about things. I love like educating that way. It occurred to me that I'm kind of like, it's kind of like for me doing public speaking without having to be in front of a bunch of people all at once all at the same time, right? It's a very different way of getting uh, information across. And I just love having conversations. I mean, that's what I do for a job, right? <laughs> As I talk to people. So um, yeah, I just think it's great to talk about things that I feel really passionate about too.
0: Absolutely. And then, you know, I guess, I guess, sort of circling back to your your professional work, you know, what what was it? Why uh, why did you want to kind of focus your 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 target sort of group on creatives? Because mm-hmm. uh, that's that's an interesting sort of like segment where oftentimes people are, you know, people pick like, whatever working with kids or working with grief or
1: right.
0: trauma. What 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 uh what intrigued you about you know working with with creatives?
1: Well, really, kind of my own experience. And I will say just this week, um, I, I bought myself a present, which is a digital piano. Um, and it's been so much fun because uh, I haven't, because I live in San Diego, we live in a condo. It's like kind of hard to like haul a, a actual piano around with me. So, uh, and the reason I mentioned that is because I remember being in a therapy session as a client, and there was nothing wrong with my therapist, you know, uh, it, was, it was fine. But when I was trying to explain to her, this kind of speaks to the sensitivity piece again, too, right? I was trying to explain to her that I had gone to a friend's house and sat at her piano. And I, I played piano since I was seven. So this is something that's really, and it really speaks to me, it really is a part of my soul and my heart. And I told her, I was like, wow, you know, my friend got this digital piano, I'd never really played one, I sat down, and it felt just like playing a real piano, you know, and I'm saying it like this. And she's like, She's like, "Oh, is there is that a thing or is that it?" Right? She didn't she didn't understand the importance of what that meant to me and how uh how cool it was that that I could have this experience and not, you know, spend thousands of dollars or whatever it whatever it was. And I don't know, I think like at that point in particular and other points I realized like wow it was just save a lot of time for one thing um and it would be nice like if I were a client it would be really great to talk to somebody who totally understood off the bat why art is important to me why music's important to me you know whatever they don't have to understand anything any everything about it like I I work with like for example actors and dancers and I don't really know a lot about that realm but it doesn't matter because I, I get the general idea that these things are important to them in a way, to be totally honest with you, sometimes they're like life and death important. Sometimes art is a matter of life and death uh, and self-expression. I think that speaks to what we were, you know, that some of the examples that you mentioned before, you know? Um, so um, yeah, I just, I just was like, wow, that would be cool. Why don't I be that person?
0: Yeah, why not? Well, awesome. Rachel, I really enjoyed, you know, having you on the show today, having this discussion. If people want to find out like more about your work uh, and more about your podcast, uh, where would you direct them to?
1: Sure, sure. Thanks. Um, you can go to my website at rachelmorecounseling.com, rachelmorecounseling.com, and it's spelled all kind of like, as you would imagine it, uh, standard spelling. And um, yeah, if you want to check out my podcast, we do have uh, some, uh, some, some episodes in the archive under Sparkles Podcast is what we called it. Um, you can look that up as well and uh, kind of hear some of our, our fun
0: discussions. Awesome. One last question for you, you know, if if you sort of were able to to play God in a sense and and be able to change, you know, say one thing, uh, you know, kind of about our our mental health care system, you know, in this country, um, just based off your you know professional experience, what you've seen work, what you what you've seen haven't work, uh, what what would it be like? What what would you what would you modify?
1: Oh gosh, one thing, okay. <laughs>
0: Or just how would you, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be one thing, but how would you, how would you sort of see it being different if you were able to, to modify it?
1: Well, I would say, you know, even for myself, because I still, you know, in some ways have biases and stigmas around mental health, to be totally honest with you, you know, in different ways. And I work through them myself and I learn them and am educated. I think that, yeah, I would really try to reduce the stigma amount around mental health and to have people understand, it's not about weakness, or like I think in our in in the U.S. especially, like we really have this idea that you should pull yourself up by your bootstraps and with anything, right? Like whether it's money or job or health or whatever, you know, with physical health, like you should fight it, you should be strong. It's like, well, you know, it's not about fighting or being strong. It's about I think really getting a better understanding of who you are as a person and having support. So generally speaking, reducing the stigma around mental health and making it just kind of like no big deal to go get help.
0: Right. Well said. Awesome. Well, for those of you guys who enjoyed uh, listening to the episode, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel where Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro. And then you can also find audio versions of the podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else that audio podcasts are available. Again, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really enjoyed our discussion.
1: You're welcome. It was really fun.
0: Awesome.